Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. A um, couple summers ago, my family and I kind of checked something off the bucket list. We went rafting. And um, this is right before we are done. We're about to unload here. And in three minutes from this picture right here, I'm about to get confronted by my two teenagers, which is always fun after a great time on a river. And so we dock, you know, the, the river guide says, go put your gear up. And so I'm walking over with my two teenagers, Jackson, um, who's a junior, and Bubba, who's in eighth grade. And Jackson looks at me right in the eyes and goes, hey, what's the deal? You just made me lose money. I just lost a bet. Okay, hold on, what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, me and Bubba, we made a bet that you would share the gospel with a raft guide. And you just cost me money. Why didn't you share the gospel? And I literally looked at him. And I'm like, why didn't you share the gospel? Why is that my problem or my privilege? And um, gosh, I don't know what that says about Bubba. He was like, no, dad won't do it, you know? And, and I, after I just walked a little bit longer with my teenagers, I had to just look at them and go, man, I, I missed it. I was thinking about it the entire time. I was asking her for her story. How'd she get here? What's going on? And, you know, guys, I, like at the end of the day, I got to a place where like, we're like an hour into this thing. We got another 30, 45 minutes. And if this thing goes south, I don't want to be uncomfortable in this raft as we drift down the Taylor River. And it was just a great reminder, man, people are watching. And what even made this more of like a prick for me, like a stick in the side, was the fact that I had a captive audience that I had paid for on this trip. And so I don't know if you can identify with that. When you just had either a layup opportunity or you just had like, hey, by faith, I'm going to reach out and initiate a conversation around the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And it just shrunk back. The writer of Hebrews today is writing to an audience that is in a very different circumstance than us today. Let me just read verse 39. Verse 39 is really the punchline for all 20 verses that we're going to take a look at this morning. Here's what it says. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have found faith and preserve their souls. See, the circumstance the audience was in is they were literally losing everything. There was so much discomfort and persecution that the threshold of pain, this church was like, we don't know if we can continue to tolerate this. And the message of Hebrews, don't drift, draw near. They were like, man, do we just need to punt and drift back to our old ways of life? And if you know anybody that has lived in the 1040 window or anywhere where it is illegal to convert to Christianity. 
People that have come out of that persecuted environment, the environment we see in Hebrews right here, they would tell you that, man, oh man, this place is way more dangerous than that place because comfort and affluence will rot you. And so though we are in very different circumstances, we still as a church have the tendency to drift towards comfort. Today, we're gonna look at three different areas of our life, of our church, corporate, togetherness, life that are gonna help us corporately not drift. And God has made three provisions. People, there's relationships that are gonna keep you from drifting and not shrinking back. There is a gospel that we've gotta be rooted in every single day. And last but not least, we've gotta have a perspective of the future that there is something outside of this life today that is worth living for. Let's jump into Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. First thing the writer wants to draw our attention to is we need to keep the right relationships primary. We need to keep the right relationships primary. Now, if you've been a believer for a while, grew up, you know, Uh, VBS and all that stuff, it will not be new to you to love God and love others. That is exactly where the writer is going to plant some roots here. And the first relationship you have got to keep primary is your relationship with the Lord himself. Let's jump into the text. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, let me just stop right there. We're going to be using language all throughout this text today that have shown up in chapters 8, chapters 9. So if you need a refresher on those, you can go on our City Bridge app and go listen to Derek talk about a better promise, a better covenant. It'll be great. So we're not going to dive deep in a lot of this language because it's from language from chapter 8 and chapter 9. The holy places is one of those words referenced in chapter 9. That is essentially where God dwells where God dwells. And so what he's saying is like, look, you have full confidence, church, to walk into that place where God dwells and commune with the living God of the universe. And why do you have that assurance? Why do you have that confidence? Well, look at what he says. You can enter to enter the holy places by two things. In my Bible, I circle two bys, by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is his flesh. So why can we have confidence? Where is your confidence rooted that today you can approach God with confidence? And in the judgment to come, you can approach God with confidence. It is rooted in the gospel, in the gospel. And the gospel is essentially what happened on Good Friday and Easter, which we're about to celebrate here in a month. And the gospel is essentially two different things. One, that Jesus died, death, burial, and resurrection. His blood was spilled for you. His flesh was ripped open for you for your sins. But that Savior didn't say dead. He rose. Notice how it says the word living. This Jesus is alive. And he's not just alive. He is right now a great, great priest, present tense, he's alive. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith. 
You want to know what the, the gospel is all about? It's the fact that you and me have confidence now because of the past work of Jesus to white, rightly relate to him. Look at that word assurance. So there's a couple different words I'm underlining in my Bible as I read this devotionally. Confidence is one of them. Assurance is another one. So let me ask you guys a question. Here's the question. What in your life right now do you have assurance in? Like where you could say, in one year from now, I can guarantee what? Yeah, well, can you say that about your health? No. Can you say that about your family? Man, there's no promise. Can you, can you say for sure that you're not going to get hit by a drunk driver and be paralyzed and jobless in a year? See, the reality is, in the Christian life, we have assurance about nothing. And everybody who's trying to make you an assurance promise, maybe. The writer here wants to draw your attention to those two words. And if you are not going to shrink back, church, you've got to keep this relationship with God primary, that today draw near. This is not an individual draw near. That's part of it. It is a corporate. We get to draw near to the God of the universe because of the blood of Jesus and his resurrection. Number two, second relationship is present accountable relationships have got to be primary in your life. So the living God of the universe has got to be primary and present accountable relationships. Look at what verse 23 says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's a, this is the second let us. Let us church. Let us city bridge. Anybody in here, I know we have a lot of soldiers, uh, veterans in here, so I don't want to make light of movies, but does anybody like to watch like Navy SEAL movies or books or anything like that? I'm it. Okay, a couple people. You'll see the word hold fast quite a bit in there. 2,000 years ago is similar today. It's a sailor term, but it's also a soldier term. And it's a sailor term because when the storm was clearly about to hit, when it was about to get sideways on that boat, and you were a sailor, you would say, hold fast, meaning you better go tie down the cargo right now. It's about to go down. And we don't know how long those waves are going to be crashing over the side. And after you tie down the cargo, hold on. That's sailor imagery. Soldier imagery. We are about to get overrun. And we have got to stand our ground until dawn or until reinforcements show up. And we are outnumbered and need more ammo. We have to hold fast, soldier. So why does he use soldier and sailor imagery for the church? Because friends, the storm that we live in right now is our culture. It is not moving the same way as Christ's people should be moving. 
And if you don't have water coming over your bow right now, going in your lungs, it will come. But look at what he's calling all of us, right? Us, too. What are we holding fast to? The hope, the confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? Well, it's the gospel, and it's this. We have got to have this thing tied down in our life and hold on to this thing for our dear life. If you don't want to shrink back. And you got to be doing it with others. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That might be a verse you've memorized for community, right? With our community group, we're going to memorize 24 and 25. And that word stir up is a word that's used back in the day for like stirring up trouble. Riffraff. Let's go provoke somebody. Us, the gang, let's go. That's the same word that's used right here for stirring up love and good works. And who in your life is stirring up love and good works in your life? Like what name pops in your head there? Because remember, the, the back to the key theme, right? You're either going to draw near or you're going to drift. And you will not drift to love and good works. Guarantee it. Where Rob Berry is going to drift towards is Rob Berry. Selfishness, comfort, ease. And he's like, hey, Soldier, you, you got to be doing this with others, but you need other people in your life that are going to stir up love and good deeds. Here's a great exercise. If you're a member here in community, here's a great question to ask each other this week. It's a question our guys ask each other. We've talked a little bit about this at a community training night, and that is look at each other and go, hey, what do I do in your life that stirs you up to love and good works? What is it? Give me like something tangible. What have I done with you over the last six months that motivated you to live more for God's kingdom than for this one? It's a great question for your community group. And he keeps on going. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, like this really matters. The 90 minutes we gather here really matters. And do you know there are 10,000 minutes in a week? There's a reason why we say, have a great week of worship because listen, this is 90 minutes. And if your plan to not drift, and if your plan to not shrink back is this place for 90 minutes on a Sunday, that will probably not work out well for you. And this is part of what it means to walk with Jesus together. But, but look at what Acts 2, this is probably a familiar passage. If you've gone through our membership class, you've seen this passage. Here's what it says, Acts 2. Day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's what's great about those two passages. The Lord never gives you a formula. Because if he were to give you a formula, do this seven times today. Hey, church, meets Sunday and Wednesday night. Do this three times a day. If he were to give you a formula, then you would start feeling really good about yourself. If you're like me. But he doesn't. Because God cares about your heart. And if you get your heart right, everything else will work out. So he just gives you the value here. This Acts 2 passage isn't prescriptive like, hey, City Bridge, go do these things every day. How do I know that? Because it says they were gathering in the temple. We, we can't do that. But the value here is, hey, there should be some consistency and frequency in your life with other believers outside of the 90-minute gathering here. And I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. I can tell you what a couple people do here. But I don't want you to go, well, great, they do that, so now I'm doing that. No, surround yourself with people, accountable, present relationships. Um, it is a gift, like, to be able to stream. Glad you guys are with us right now. And, um, but that should never replace this. We've all streamed. We've all been out sick where we had to. That should be the exception, the gathering of his people, not just Sunday, but during the week in smaller pockets. That is God's picture to help you not drift and to not shrink back. He's not talking about a pod, you and a podcast. He's not talking about you and whatever else, right? He's talking about you. Let us, this is the third time there is plural language. Let us corporately do this together. Here's one way that uh, my community group does that. Um, and uh, the girls in our group, they use Voxer. Nothing magical about Voxer. I'm not telling you to go get Voxer. But they will literally, it's like a walkie-talkie app. And they will literally say, hey, I need help right now on this. I'm really struggling with this. And I've not heard one time a response. They're pretty quick from the girls. That says, I'll commit to praying for you. You literally have beep, you know, and they say, Lord in heaven, will you for my sister right now so that, and they pray right there in the moment. It is like, as a husband, I'm like, dude, that's awesome. That's that's this. That's this. So how do we not shrink back? Well, we keep the two relationships primary, the Lord himself and present, accountable people relationships, not podcasts. And now we're about to transition into a really intense part of Hebrews. Um, this is the fourth out of five warning passages. And the reality is, is that um, he knows your, the culture he's speaking into here. And he knows that there is a very real 
reality of you need to be warned here or there's a very real reality that you're going to shrink back. And shrinking back isn't just neutral. It is dangerous at best and destructive at worst. And it's like, believe, hey, church, listen to me. It's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. This is the fourth of five winning practices, and they're progressive. Sorry, guys, I jumped the gun there. They're progressive, right? It starts with drifting, then disbelieving, then dullness, then despising. That's where we're at today, and then denying. They get progressively more intense, progressively more intense. So how do we not shrink back? The second thing the writer of Hebrews wants us to draw our attention to is you've got to keep the gospel primary. You've got to keep the gospel primary. Let me summarize these next several verses, and then we're going to unpack them. Because sometimes I just have to start with, okay, what is the big picture of what is this saying? Because it looks kind of crazy. And so what he's essentially going to say is he's going to start with the Old Testament Israelite and what happened there and compare it to today. Now that you know about Jesus and his provision. So the, the summary here is Israelite. If you were going to see all of God's provision for you. And you're going to come to a point where you are ultimately going to reject the God of the Old Testament. And his provision for you. Then Israel, nothing else is left for you but judgment. And in an even greater way. World. Individual person, if you get to a place where you look at Jesus, his provision for you, and you make a decision to reject Jesus and his sacrifice, nothing else is left for you but destruction. So it's an argument from lesser with Israel to even greater now that we know about Jesus. So let's unpack how we got there. Here's my disclaimer. Really smart people disagree on who we're talking about here but they all agree with where this person ends up. And I'll come back to that at the very end of this passage, okay? Here we go. For if we go on sinning deliberately, okay, when I read that devotionally, if I'm like you, I'm like, oh, shoot. I knew I shouldn't have done this this week, and I just did it, and I knew I shouldn't have. And by the way, oh, no, I've done that in the past, too, this is a pattern in my life where I know what I shouldn't do and I still do it. Is that who he is talking to right here? Let's keep going. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Here's the next verse that's going to help us understand who is he talking about when he's talking about sinning deliberately? Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That word set aside defines who we're talking about sinning deliberately. It's basically looking at Israel and saying Israel had everything and every Israelite had to make a choice of do I believe God in his provision there? And there were some people that just came to the point in Israel to go, no, this is too uncomfortable. I think I'm going to go worship Baal or any other lowercase God in your Old Testament because it's just easier. And they said, 
I'm basically going to set the covenant. Covenant is a binding agreement with God and man. And I'm going to look at that and I'm going to reject that and set that aside. And the Lord's like, if you're going to set aside my provision and covenant for you, then only judgment, fire that will consume the adversaries. This sitting deliberately is high-handed treason. You're the God of the universe. I don't think you are, and I'm going somewhere else. Now let's look at verse 29. So that's the lesser. Now looks at the greater. Those who have heard about Jesus. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot? I just encourage you. I underline that in my Bible. Trampled underfoot. We're going to come back there. Who has profaned, underline that in my Bible, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged, third thing to underline, the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Let's look at those three words, trampled, profaned, outraged. All right, anybody remember, anybody remember watching the first Gulf War? Anybody in here? Like, that's way back in the day, okay? A couple of you guys. <clears throat> remember, I had like the trading cards with generals and all that stuff. Something we did back then. And then who remembers watching the, the second Gulf invasion? Like, right after 9-11. Who remembers that? Okay. I'll never forget, um, I was out of college at the time, and I'll never forget um, watching local Iraqis take their shoe, look at a statue of Saddam Hussein, and throw their shoe at that statue. And I remember thinking, that is so crazy. Why would you do that? I remember they toppled the statue. And what they do? They took off their shoes and they started hitting the statue. And some even left their shoe on top of the statue. And we can look at that as a Western culture and go, that's kind of weird. But from an Eastern culture, even 2,000 years ago, that would have made perfect sense. Because that shoe represents two things, authority and shame. Authority and shame. If you put your finger there and just go look at verse 13 in this same chapter, you'll notice Jesus talking about the day he's going to return. And on that day, his enemies will be a footstool for his feet. Meaning like, an ottoman. His adversaries will be a footstool, an ottoman for Jesus' feet, meaning I will demonstrate, you don't think that I have authority over you, but there will be a day where I demonstrate my authority. And it's not just about authority, it's about shame. Look in the Western world too, if you've got kids, the bottom of your shoe is like the dirtiest place in the world. And um, it's, an, it's an idea of shame. So if you're going to trample over a foot's one or smack a statue with your shoe, you're ultimately saying, you're not in charge and I shame you. So who is this person that's sinning deliberately? The first thing, the first indicator, this is someone who has looked at Jesus and said, you have no authority in my life. I'm in charge. Second thing, and has profaned the blood of the covenant. Well, we just finished talking about the blood, the very that allows you to draw into constant fellowship with the Lord is by his blood. It's holy. Jesus' blood is the same and it's very different than yours. 
in its ability to cover sin. And so this word profane means common. You know, the second indicator of who this person is that sins delivery is somebody who looks at Jesus and the death of Jesus and the crucifixion and go, he was just like every other rebel that got crucified under Rome's authority. There's nothing significant about poor Jesus back then. That's the second indicator, which is not where we started today about the blood of Jesus. Third thing, has outraged the spirit of grace. I mean, I don't even know what to say here. Outraged in grace in the same sentence can be very confusing. We don't really think about the Holy Spirit as being outraged. But back to Hebrews chapter 8 and this binding relationship between God and man, the new covenant, if you've trusted in Jesus, in his provision, the blood that's holy, God puts his spirit in those believers, written the law in their heart. That's what chapter 8 talks about in Hebrews. And what he's saying is, you in and of a sect of how you view Jesus and how his sacrifice, you have essentially looked at that new covenant, the provision there, and all the future promises go, no thank you. No thank you. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to draw our attention like, there's no other sacrifice. There's literally nothing out there outside of Jesus. He's the ultimate sacrifice. There's no version two coming down the road. And if you're going to reject the ultimate provision for you, all that is left is God's vengeance. Remember, he's writing to a body to not shrink back. And if you don't want to shrink back, you've got to keep the gospel primary. How do you do that every single day? The healthiest people I know in this life are people that every single day just go, How's the gospel real to me today? Where have I blown it today? That reminds me of my need for the gospel. It's a great exercise to do every single morning. That's why confession matters in community. It's self-declaring, I've blown it and I need this. We gotta keep the right relationships primary. We gotta keep the gospel primary and last. We've got to keep the future primary. Look at what he says here. Verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Underline that, had a better possession. That is the key phrase in this last section. You want to not shrink back, you got to have your eyes fixed on something else than today and what you own today. Now, unlike us, this audience here was under extreme persecution. They weren't in prison for running too many red lights here or tax evasion. These people were in prison because they publicly 
stood their ground with Jesus in a culture that was like, we'll kill you. And um, I got to tell you, I just wrestled really deeply with this this week because, look, we live in America where we have private property rights. We are protected by law. Thank you, Jesus, that laws restrain evil. But for the majority of our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't live here, this is a very real reality. And I just thought, gosh, every time I make that mortgage payment, it just feels like it's mine, right? And how would I respond if this happened to me? And all week long, I just wrestled with, Lord, my perspective is not on a better possession here. And I've got to grow in this area myself. Um, Until yesterday, by accident, whenever you said the word North Korea, wherever that came up, I wouldn't necessarily think good things. And yesterday, I just stumbled across a statistic about North Korea that 50 to 70,000 believers right now over there are in work and labor camps and prison because of their faith. And I'm like, I've never thought about North Korea being like, man, we have family over there. On that day when Christ returns, they're going to be gathered with us. That's our family. They're in prison and property repossessed because their faith is primary. What's primary in your life? When I thought about the things that could be primary in my life, and I think about my zip code, I love my zip code I live in. The elementary school in my part, I love my elementary school. What's primary in your life? This writer is saying, the future has got to be primary, not what you possess today. Here's what he says, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Like, you've invested so much. You've lost so much. And now, don't throw away your investment. Keep investing there. You've lost so much. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Can I just draw your attention to the word confidence? This is now the third time We've seen confidence twice and assurance. He's trying to get your attention, trying to get my attention. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back or are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere, preserve their souls. Friends, how do we not shrink back corporately? Well, we've got to do it together. I know we're not here for English class, but there are a lot of pronouns in that section. Not one of them is singular. Let us, we, you is even plural. You and Jesus alone, that is a recipe to shrink back. You and the body of Christ? Okay. We have confidence. 
This is supposed to be an encouraging message. We have confidence. The reality is the circumstances are very different. And so listen, if I was preaching right here in North Korea, this is exactly what I'd be saying. I know you've been thrown in prison. I know you've lost property. Stay the course. Tighten it out. Stand firm, church. Our reality in this culture at this church that I'm guilty of myself, we kind of have this quid pro quo with God, meaning if you do this, I'll do this. That's what we're guilty of. And Lord, I've been doing all these things and then tragedy happened. Lord, I've been doing all these things and then that's what we've got to be cautious of. That's where we are going to drift in our culture. Is this the Lord's going to bless me culture if I follow all these rules? No, we can with confidence and assurance approach the throne of grace today. But we've got to do it together if we're going to have a fighting shot here. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.